All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. I am Joe Dania, your host, owner of Youngstown Computer. And we've been doing this show for over a decade where we get to talk about things that are in tech. And the purpose of the show from the very beginning, if you if you didn't if you weren't joining us from the you know, the origin of the day one, uh, we we have always been engaged to help people that may, you know, uh, have sworn off technology or decide that they don't want anything to do with technology. And, and from the early days, our job was to kind of like reel them in, in a little bit, give them reasons like in the beginning of any of these new innovations, there's a little bit of cheese factor to it right it's it's okay it's we're toying around with it it's not great it can take a lot of criticisms i mean think about you know 3d movies um when you have a new technology you know they would work work certain scenes in the movies so they can take advantage of the technology and it was forced right it wasn't something that we were pursuing and couldn't wait till 3d technology and movies came out it was kind of fun and you know i wouldn't want to watch Every movie that I watch be in 3D, but every once in a while, a certain movie would be okay. And that's sort of w- what happens in regular tech. You have your regular tools, and this new tool is a complicated version because you know how to write things down. You know how to use file cabinets. You know how to use three-ring binders. You can organize yourself using sticky notes and all of those things. And all of a sudden, you get handed this thing that is digital, and digital changes the way that your brain has to wrap around uh, technology, right? It has to... Let it in first, figure out what the usefulness is, be patient with it while it evolves, and then eventually you can't do without. And that's, you know, the long version of it is you become better. Honestly, you become better. You get frustrated in the beginning. We we have sat down with, you know, 70, 80-year-olds that have never touched a computer, and we put a laptop in front of them and watch them just hate every second of it. And the frustration is nobody likes to be bad at something. And... And there's there's a fair bit of criticism from your peers when you are bad at something. Have you ever, you ever like open your phone and somebody can't figure out how to put their phone on do not disturb or they can't figure out how to do X, Y, Z? You kind of roll your eyes a little bit like, come on, you know, especially like the, the younger generations real big on uh, mocking us when we don't know how to do something. Well, if you learned a different way and it's a brand new thing, it again takes a while for your brain to work its way around it and that's that that was the that was the reason for the show there's a lot of you out there especially in this older demographic that wanted nothing to do with it and i came along and i made it easy to understand and made it interesting as we talk about it and i invited you in on the uh on you know on on the pursuit and that's the origin of the show now we take it a little bit further now we talk about things that are going happening more in society and the implications of where technology is going to change things in the future so if you're plotting out you know, prosperity and some kind of innovation in the future, whether it's, you know, your 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 kid wants to go and become a programmer, uh, you know, you want to get into robotics and automations. I mean, all of that stuff has consequences down the road because if you can foresee something coming on the horizon, you could then prepare for it and, again, chase down some extra prosperity. But uh, we do everything. So if there is a question you have about being able to use this, like why we do certain things is just as important as what to do. Um, you know, why do we have a firewall? Why do we put a password on a computer? Why do we use email? Um, all of that stuff, super relevant. And if you need your questions asked or answered, go and ask me, 330-729-9977. You can text me at 333-1570, and I will read those questions as the program goes along. And I will answer that password question, right? So why do we set passwords? And future going forward, Passwords are going to disappear in the future. 
you won't you won't have passwords. Um, there are enough, and I think the way that we do passwords, not very smart, because none of us use passwords usually the way that they should be used. Um, the general rule, <coughs> excuse me, the general rule is that you have a sophisticated password, something that somebody couldn't figure out. So that means. You're not going to use your initials, you're not going to use your address, or you're not going to use your phone number. And all of us pick things that we could remember, right, and populate an e- a, 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 a password on stuff that's hard to remember. So nobody does that. We pick something we could remember, we make it sophisticated a little bit, we make a couple capital letters or whatever, and it's it's good enough, right, because you change it every six months and you stay off of the radar. It's hard to get yours because the only reason it's hard to get yours is because there's so many other people that are doing worse than you. It's easier to pick them off than it would be, um, you know, to figure out. But even though when I when we look at the underground and the people who are doing the scamming, they're not wasting time trying to figure out people's passwords. They're not because there are so many passwords that are leaked from databases. Like it would be way more beneficial to spend the time to try to take control of someone's database that has thousands or millions of email addresses and passwords and then just take the emails and passwords and trial them out on all kind of different websites the chances are you're using the same username and the same password combination everywhere you go and uh and once i get it from you know xyz company's database that i breached i use it everywhere and i could start using it so the thankfully that the scammers and and the hackers are are a little lazier than they once were, and they don't have to try real hard to get get at your stuff. But as I suggested in the future, about, I would say, maybe 90% of my passwords, I don't even know, right? I use a password password management uh, piece of software that runs on a computer. It picks the password. It remembers what password it picked. And then all I have to do is use two-factor authentication to get me into the computer. So, Basically, when I log into the computer with my two-factor authentication, I'm entering all of my passwords for that session. Now, still not brilliant because you're putting all of your passwords in one container, somebody making that container a very um, you know, t- big target, big valuable target. Now, I've had nothing but safety since having done this, so doing something right, and I think only because... There are much easier scams. There are easier targets than than mine. But eventually, that won't even be necessary. You won't have to have characters that you have to type on a keyboard in order to set a password. There are other ways. There are other more sophisticated ways. Yes, you'll never know your password, but your password can be figured out from input from you. And then it translates down into some key and then you're you're passed in there. But I'm telling you, within the next five years, no more entering passwords, remembering you know digits and and all that kind of stuff. I can assure you. Uh, but as they exist right now, I would highly recommend uh, either LastPass or Dashlane. Now I bring up LastPass because we've used them for about a decade now, <clears throat> and they've they've had some go arounds. They've had some negative press where they've had some insiders that leaked some technology and what's really and and again um they were really good at communicating back to the the customers so that we can change our passwords 
but uh, it it, it means it doesn't mean that they were infallible or couldn't be hit. I think they handled it properly when they were hit. So just again, be smart about it. Change your password. Make it sophisticated. Um, and, and as simple as this, in order to have different passwords, right? It literally just can't be the same by one character. So if all you have to do is add a single character for the website that you're going on. So let's just say you use your normal password and you you, you put the letter, a capital F at the end of your password for Facebook and you put a capital E at the end for eBay or you, you just add a single character, the people who are trying your passwords on different platforms are not going to add extra characters onto your password. They're just going to see if you use the same one by doing a different one, even if it's a simple simple difference, make it a little bit different, and then you will pass that extra level of security that it is unique to that platform. So that's what I'm going to say about uh, about password technology. Uh, so I, I'm assuming that everybody listening here survived the EMS cell phones and tablets and whatever else decided to do a test of the emergency broadcast system. Um, I ha- I received more phone calls about this test than I have about something probably since Y2K. And everybody was had no idea. They I had some people wanting to know if it was going to activate their Pfizer chip that was implanted in them last year. Some people thought that it was, uh, it was intended uh, for contraband in prisons, which that one actually pr- made sense. Run the EMS, make the contraband phones in prisons uh, light up and make noise so that the guards can find hidden phones that they didn't know about. Uh, but also I heard, you know, uh, spouses that have burner phones uh, would get outed as soon as they started making noise. So everybody was just acting really crazy about this EMS. But I I literally can remember every year, maybe twice a year, them hitting that system and testing it without really the panic that this one hit. So I have no idea why this one was so newsworthy. Um, Typically in the past, you never even knew it was going to happen. It just happened and you're like, oh, a test, no big deal. And nobody cared. So anyway, 330-729-9977. You also noticed that uh, the uh, Starlink satellite train. I saw a bunch of people on Facebook posting the uh, every time they do a launch, they launch between 25 and 50 satellites. And when they come off of the rocket, they are all sort of inches apart. And over the next series of orbits, they slowly separate from one another. So they're super close when they launch and maybe by you know, 20 days, they're, you know, a mile away from each other, but they still are following a train across the sky. And these are pretty cool um, to to watch go across the sky. It's, it seems like it happens around 830 certain times of the month. Um, so you can see the latest train and they're launching like every other week. So you can check, catch it, uh, you know, catch one of these trains going across the sky. Also, the International Space Station, you can usually see. I, I love star watching. I love space in general. Uh, and so those are things, you know, worth mentioning. Um, let's see. So uh, another thing in, in, the, in the space department is there, uh, I think it was, I, I, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to get this wrong. I want to say it was DirecTV. It's one of the satellite uh, television companies 
got a an incredibly high fine for space junk and not having some materials that were in space deorbit or um you know uh be managed right they're causing if, if you kind of look at the space junk map it looks like there is a lot of stuff in low earth orbit and it's just kind of hanging out there so it makes it incredibly dangerous as you're doing space exploration and you're putting communication satellites and you're putting people up there to dodge all of this crap garbage that that's floating around and the goal is that have it up there and then make sure the companies will put up there you know have it come down into the atmosphere and burn up instead of just hang out in the atmosphere for you know tens of years and it's it's becoming a, a a greater problem and which somehow somebody needs to figure out how to kick some of this junk out of space and have it um you know maybe a little space tow truck that goes around and latches on to um you know a satellite and then using some kind of um throttle pull itself and whatever it is into back into the atmosphere and burn up and or drop into the ocean uh but it was it was a significant uh, fine and and so i think they're taking it pretty serious that we don't want all of that space jump but i was even watching the moon landing right and all of the garbage that we have already polluted on the moon from that from that exploration i'm talking like bags of dung right feces on sitting on the moon garbage to reduce weight so pretty much everywhere human beings go it looks like a you know, a hippie rock concert or a hippie, uh, whatever music festival where just garbage is littered everywhere. And it's just, we don't, aren't responsible with our, with our stuff. Um, you can go to Mars and there's been multiple times where they saw something that looked human in nature, right? Uh, something that's non Martian. And here it's just, uh, debris from a previous parachute or a previous landing gear or, or whatever. And I don't know, it just, we're just garbage creators. I get so disappointed in, in how we manage ourselves sometimes. 330-729-9977. You can text me at 333 um, I, I keep a really close eye, and, and, and I'll tell you this. We do a good bit of watching the developments in electric vehicles and battery, produ- battery and energy productions production. And I, I had to kind of go back and read about the story of Chernobyl. I wanted to really get a good handle on nuclear technologies and get an idea of why, no pun intended, that the topic is so radioactive. You bring it up and you have people that just get terrified of the technology. So I'm going to talk about that when we come back from this break. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on 570 WKBN. I'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. I am Joe Danier, your host, and a little bit about the company that makes this show possible, and that is Youngstown Computer. We are Valley's IT company, uh, whether or not you need residential or commercial services. And uh, let me give the phone number, 330-259-7278. We've been dealing with the Valley from, I don't know, since 2008, 2009. So it's been a really long time. I'm glad you guys trust us out there. We've really worked hard uh, to earn that trust, and uh, I want to invite anyone who's not already a customer to come talk to us. And if it's on the commercial side, that means that you've got some computers, maybe not an IT staff. We'll be that IT staff because it's much cheaper, and you get bigger benefits from rather than having a full-time person 
uh, that you have to dig up six days of work or five days of work for. Maybe you don't have that much work. You can just use us when you need us. So maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's every other week. Maybe it's once a month. Uh, but we can fill in your IT needs uh, when that happens. So 330-259-7278. We can inherit or adopt in uh, if you have a, a, a firm that uh, you're, uh, you're, you're looking to move on from. We can inherit solutions uh, and work through them so that, we, you know, it, it's, a, it's a kind of annoying when a, when a new outfit comes in. They want to change everything and get super expensive. So you hesitate. You keep the old guys around that maybe you're not happy with. Um, for the sake of that change. Well, we'll try to inherit as much stuff that we we can that makes sense so that we don't come out of the gate and say, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, and make you start over from scratch. So bring your business to us, 330-259-7278. And on the residential side, see, I love you guys. Uh, we started the company having a lot of residential customers. And over the years, it's it's dwindled. People have gotten smarter. People, uh, Computers got more resilient. So you need us a lot less, but we've kept it open because I just absolutely love uh, that the the loyalty that our we've got customers have been dealing with us for over ten years and exclusively use our services. So even when we were hemorrhaging money because we were staffing an office that did not attract enough business to even justify staying open, we kept it open because of all of you guys. And uh, and so we appreciate all of you and and sticking around. And uh, we're we're much better than we were in that two thousand twenty one two thousand twenty two years. We're back to uh, over, you know, we're, we're at least at break even or better. And, but we, uh, invite more of you to come deal, but do business with us. We'll take care of you. So that's three, three Oh, two, five, nine, seven, two, seven, eight. Uh, Joe, where does the computer keep time? My time is three hours off and I don't know where to change. Okay. So good question. And let me answer this two ways. So first off, if your computer is exactly three hours or four hours or one hour, it may be that you just have a time zone set wrong, right? Your computer might think you're in, you know, on the Pacific side of, of the country. And so it's given you Pacific Standard Time, and that's why your time is off. So I would type in the search box, time zones, right? And it will give you a selection for setting the date and time. And then all you're going to do is you'll find out what time zone it thinks you're on and then make sure it says Eastern time. And that, in your case, should clear things up. Now, to answer the sec- the, fir- the question a little differently is that um, your, your computer has two methods of tracking time. So on your motherboard, there's a battery. And that battery runs a system called a BIOS. In that BIOS, it has a little clock that runs. Right, So your system knows what time it is. And if you're ever booting up your computer and it says, hit F2 to enter the BIOS, go in there one day. Just hit F2, go in, into your BIOS, go to the, the time setting and see what it says. Now, chances are it says what whatever your normal time says. And um, in, the, in the past, the Windows operating system would actually look at the system BIOS and ask it what time it was. And that's the time that would display on your computer okay now because most computers are on the internet we give the ability um, for the computer to set and synchronize the clock to one of the national published dates and times and it does that automatically um, i believe there's a you know microsoft uh, time server you have uh, some corporate time 
servers, and all it does is it's an accurate time that it publishes out to people's computers. So chances are your computer's time set is coming from the internet rather than what your bio says. But check it out, 330-729-9977. Text me at 333-1570. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on 570 WKBN. I'll be back. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. Uh, As I was talking about before the last set of breaks that I was really looking into... Uh, nuclear power and the 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 people who are critical of the electric vehicle movement um, they're right on this one that our capacity right will get shortened as we put more electric cars more battery operated vehicles on the road because the charging uh, you know all these cars need to be charged and you know where i'm i'm watching over the years and and plotting just how new how many new electric vehicles are being put on the road we still have time right so we got a number of years but then when you look to see what we would what what as we neared that capacity what could we what f- switch could we flip to add the capacity to the right now there i mean there are certain communities that if you set up Uh, One of the examples I was looking at were, uh, you know, they were putting 60 semis together. PepsiCo was putting 60 semis together that were battery powered. And when they went and talked to the the municipality and said, hey, we're going to cook these up and we're going to charge them, they basically laughed at them because they were already suffering capacity issues in that place. And there was no way they were going to be able to uh, assure them that they were going to have uninterrupted power and it was going to even make things worse on their end. So I'm, I'm really looking into... Uh, you know, can we stave this off? What do we do as a as a reaction to the critics that say there just isn't going to be enough power? Um, you know, solar is is good. It's a kind of expensive, and it doesn't dose you really high uh, on on each of the installments. There's a whole lot of it that has to happen to replace a lot of the um, you know the coal or the oil, natural gas or nuclear. I'm not even nuclear, so just oil and natural gas. Um, the power plant. So in, the only thing that rivals what a natural gas power plant can do would be something in the nuclear. And that's, that's why I went down the rabbit hole on Chernobyl. And when it goes bad, where the, the downside to a nuclear reactor is that it, when it goes bad, it goes bad, really bad. And, you know, the assurances and the safeties that have to be put in place so that we don't ever see uh, and I, I think that was uh, Fukushima, Shima, Fukushima, and now we've had two of them that has not been great for putting down new nuclear plants, right? And so it makes it hard when you have some cautionary tales about putting these in. It makes you even less, uh, you know, ready to go down nuclear boulevard. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm still a big believer in that we're going to keep ratcheting up and scaling different different technologies where it makes sense in different ways. I do not think still there's going to be a single winner. I think we're going to put as many different options out there and, you know, like don't just pick, you know, solar as your favorite and think everything should be solar. There's plenty of other ways to generate electricity and power. There's conservation, there's cutting usage. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do uh, to make what we already have better even. So lots of different things. Uh, but uh, again, we, I, I, I watch this happen in slow motion. And, you know, at, looking at any emerging technology, we know it's going to go through these early challenges. 
and I watch the public react to these early challenges and it's almost like gets to be religious and it, it when you if you don't like electric vehicles you can't just let them be and not like it quietly you have to vocalize how they're the worst thing that's ever been put on the planet before and and I, the reason I bring this up is I, I go through these debates and my my stance has not changed I'm an objective guy and if something sucked I'd say it sucked and if it was great I would say it was great I'm I'm not sugarcoating my feelings about a technology because I like it I like it I want to see it go somewhere but I can be equally as cr- critical as long as you know we can be objective about it um, and you know there's just this bitter hatred for EVs for some reason. So I was, I was looking at, um, and Joe Biden has taken a, a really hardcore approach on helping car manufacturers and not only helping them, but necessitating them that they go the electric vehicle direction. So there's lots of pressure to create these cars and manufacturers, Rivian, uh, you know, Honda, the, these car manufacturers are struggling to become profitable in making them. If it weren't for the incentives uh, it would even be worse from uh, from the public standpoint, but the government can give you like ten thousand or seven thousand five hundred dollars. This this is actually starting in the end of two thousand twenty three, going to two thousand twenty four. A seventy five hundred credit, not not what it was before. It was a tax credit before. This is an actual rebate that you can collect on the purchase of. And so this basically the requirements are: if you buy an electric vehicle that's under, I think it was seventy five thousand dollars. Uh, let's see. Let me see if, if I'm right there. Yeah, if it's less than seventy-five or less than eighty thousand dollars for a an SUV and less than fifty-five thousand dollars for a sedan, you can collect a seventy-five thousand uh, dollar credit, and that's a little inspiration because it it was thought to be for a period of time that as EVs were were going to be much more expensive than a you know a, an ICE vehicle. Now they've reached parity. I've I've watched a couple of, you know, the Model Three configurations about twenty nine thousand dollars, and I watched a configuration for a nice vehicle be about thirty thousand dollars. So they're they're about equal at this point. And and as it emerge, if it keeps um, evolving, it's going to even get more price competitive, you know, somewhere down the line. So that's that's my uh, my deal. But if you're out there and you're you're considering buying an EV. Um, from from a personal standpoint, I think it's a really good decision. And the reason I say that is because I, I've been using, I, I bought mine in 2018, and I've been using it every single day. I've traveled with it. And would I do it again? 100%. And the benefits of this are, you don't, okay, so number one, it's so much cheaper to operate. Um, I, I think now, when I first started and in, in, in electricity was seven and a half cents a kilowatt hour, it was even better. But now at twelve cents or thirteen cents a kilowatt hour, it's still better. It cost me about two dollars and some cents for a fill up, compared to twenty five, thirty, forty, fifty dollars for a fill up uh, on on regular gas. So my my operating cost just from a fuel standpoint came way down. Um, my car charges at um, let's see. I'm trying to think the amperature. I think 32 amps. So you got a 220 line at 32 amps, and I'm going to math that real quick to see how many uh, watt hours that that costs. Let's see. So 32 times 220. So that's 7,000 watts. 
Okay, so seven kilowatts. And it takes about four, between four and five hours to charge each night to get me up to full. So I'm using um, 35 kilowatt hours, 35 kilowatt hours. And so 35 kilowatt hours times 12 cents is $4.20. So it costs me a full tank of gas, $4.20 every evening. And the second thing is there's not really any maintenance that you do from time to time. So you don't do oil changes because there's no oil. There's no, um, it has uh, regenerative braking, right? And so basically what happens is when um, you take your foot off the accelerator, the it recaptures your momentum back through the engines and charges your battery with that small segment. So it's not using the calipers and the brakes, to slow your car down, it's using the reversing of the motors to recapture that energy to slow your car down. And it, it, it's just enough resistance to slow you down. So you barely ever use brakes. So you're not doing even brake jobs as often as you are. Um, tires, it uses, it's heavy, it's a, they're heavier. And so where you would expect to get three hour, three years out of tires, you probably, two years is probably more likely. Heavier car and you have instant torque like you you can take off right and so the if you're heavy on the gas pedal like i am because i love being able to whole shot people through um you know traffic lights you're gonna wear your tires out but i i guess so you you use a little bit more tire on it uh but all of the other stuff you don't do um you know any antifreeze they're, they're just not the day-to-day maintenance cost so when i bought mine it was more expensive than your regular ice car and it took me probably four years to claw back the savings over just the the fuel savings alone and the oil changes. But now I'm back at parity. So it was the decision was you pay a little bit more up front and you save it over a long period of time. But the cost from the consumer standpoint, it's about it's about equal. And it's exhilarating. I like driving an electric car. Three three zero seven two nine 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 seven seven. You can text me at three 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 one five seven. If you have an electric car, call me and tell me about your experience with it. If you might be considering it, like you, you think you might want an electric car, you like to dabble in the idea of having an electric car, and maybe that $7,500 uh, credit uh, is appealing to you, give me a call. Tell, tell me about what you're thinking about this, 330-729-9977. And if I have any questions, I, if you have any questions about it, I can do my best to answer um, to push you in one direction or the other. Uh, in my case, I have a, and I, I basically took a 220 line that was in, in my basement, and I rewired it out to my garage, and I wired it into just a simple receptacle, and then I plugged the travel charger into that receptacle, and that's the way that I charge. So there's there's some companies that do a legit job where they give it its own line, um, they run it with a wall mounted unit and. You know, you might spend fifteen hundred bucks on the uh, on the the charging cable, but uh, it doesn't have to be that. Especially if you have a free two twenty line like I did. Uh, the next biggest critique of electric vehicles, let's see, the battery replacement. Oh my goodness, I hear this every single time we talk about EV. Somebody posts that stupid bill of sale about somebody had to replace a battery, and it was like thirty thousand dollars to replace the battery. All right, yes, there are a bunch of batteries. That is your fuel supply. And it's along the the floor, the floorboards in your in your car. And if uh 
if the whole thing, the whole pack goes bad, um, you have, I believe, seven years of warranty. So they just replaced the pack. And if it's if it's not, if it if it's not under warranty, like you get to eight years from now, if you were just to say, okay, fine, the packs go bad in seven, and this is a seven-year car, and you still divide it down, even if you had to replace the pack, and it would be like starting over, your savings cost count countdown begins again. So you can, even if you had the battery pack be a consumable, you could probably justify it because these things are going to last a little bit longer than your ICE engines and, and whatnot. So again, it's not 30000 If you were to just replace it out of pocket, it's probably more like 10000 And even at that, it's not going to happen in, in less than seven years without uh, the manufacturer covering it anyhow. So that one, you know, kind of makes me crazy. And then the next one, the next critique I get is lithium fires, right? Most uh, fire crews, they put out fires with water. They just do not have the tools to be able to deal chemical fire like lithium, right? And they're absolutely right. And so there are companies that are selling lithium uh, fire suppression tools for fire departments. So you have lithium batteries out there. You have this different extinguisher. It drops uh, the lithium below the ignition point and puts the fire out, right? And so it's just a matter of time before all of our responses to this stuff catch up. I remember the first time, like, hey, why do you buy an electric car? There's no charging places around, right? I've used chargers probably maybe in the five years that I've had it, maybe 30 times. It's not part of your daily thing. 99% of the time, I'm charging at my house. So charging infrastructure sometimes matters. So I guess it is. And at the, at the time, there weren't many. They were still pretty hard to find. But now they're like everywhere. So we had to give it enough time and get enough interest in it to build up the infrastructure. And now it's like, okay, well, that's not a complaint anymore. But it was almost like, a who would do that? There's no charging infrastructure. But anyway. 330-729-9977. But I'm I'm serious. I want to hear from you and your uh whether or not you would take the plunge and get a full blown electric vehicle. You would get a hybrid where it's part battery, where it runs off the battery until the battery gets low to a point. And then it, you could also have the option to switch over to gas or something like that hybrid that keeps the battery charged by having a mechanical engine keep that. Uh, you know, battery going. So see see where you're in line. I, I still, again, I don't like the dynamic about how much, um, you know, argument there is in this. If It's a Pepsi Coke thing as far as I'm concerned. If you like Pepsi and I don't, I don't hate you for it. You just like Pepsi and I like Coke. Um, I'd like to see it to get to that where we don't have so much animosity between the two groups. I've, I've watched uh, trucks, ice trucks, diesel ice trucks, intentionally block an electric vehicle charging uh, stall just to be a jerk, right? And when there's that kind of, like, it's already limited. Charging facilities are already limited. And when you have some boneheads decide to, um, you know, just be mean about something, then you're even it making it even more scarce. And I don't like that about human beings when they get to that level. It's the same reason I don't like any kind of that blackmail leverage. You don't get your way, so you cry and you try to hurt the other person. I hate all that kind of stuff. So, um, and uh, we'll, we'll bail on this topic for now, but I, I just want to let you know I keep my pulse on it or I keep my thumb on the pulse of it, uh, something that I pay attention to uh, with a lot of 
my interest. So uh, there we go. Let's see. Doing a text message here. Give me a second. Let's bring it up. If it does. Okay. Hedgeo, heavy batteries are stupid. What do you think about Michigan's idea to electrify the highways so that only a small battery is needed for non-electrified roads? I, you know, I really like that. And and the two the two technologies that I like are solar panel roads and electrified roads. So I think they kind of work in conjunction. So we have all of this sky-facing material that that's extremely expensive that we're putting down and replacing like every couple years, and it's maddening. I think that if we would just put better materials that can stand up, you know, for a longer period of time, maybe we'd invest a little bit heavier in something that has a full photovoltaic system in it, could dump the sun's energy into something, and then it can relay that energy up to vehicles that are, you know, traveling on top of it. But in, in your case, you're talking more of, uh, you know, magnetic exchange where they're actually, um, you know, electrifying the roads, and then they're using magnets to pass that energy up to cars as they're traveling around. I think that'll happen. I really do. And I think it'll it'll happen in small segments. Um, you know, just like the phone components that have a magnet on the back, you don't have to plug it in. It just rests on it and it exchanges electrons that way. I, I think you're onto something there. And I think, you, you know, that um, infrastructure can be used for more things than just vehicles as well. Uh, we have a lot of transmission lines that go, you know, over the road, hanging high in the air. If we could use our roadways to be able to distribute electricity along the way, and then cars just also use it too as it goes in there, I think you simplified. I think you can make it a little bit, um, you know, more. Every storm we got electrical outages, right? We got wires that get hit by trees. It's just not not a great design to have so much of your infrastructure exposed to things going wrong. And so maybe we use the roadways uh, to make a little bit easier pathway for our electricity to go. So thank you for that question. Appreciate it. And maybe in the future, too, we don't have centrally created power. Maybe we're using like hydrogen fuel cells and we're creating our own power where we can cut away from the grid to have our own generators follow us everywhere we go. Anyway, you're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on 570 WKBM. I'll be back. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show, and I am Joe Danier, your host of this program. Uh, I have the phones open all program long, so if you want to ask me any questions along the way, feel free, 330-729-9977. A couple months ago, um, I had friends that had a continuous glucose monitor, and they put it under their skin on their arm and then covered it with a little Band-Aid or a little bandage. And what this is, and this is like the one of the first iterations that I've seen of this, where you can install a personal medical device that can take some kind of biological uh, measurement. And in this case, it's sampling their blood as it passes through, and it's relaying that information to their phone. So you have a constant um, measurement that's going to your phone of what your gl- blood glucose. So I can go you know, have a beer and then watches that beer goes into my stomach and into my bloodstream. And then I can watch the glucose response on my phone to see how my body interacts with the food that I'm eating. So this is like a first step of things that we can do on our, with our blood. Think of all the other measurements that we can take. When we go to the doctor, we get all these blood panels, tell us where our lipids are, tell us where our, our you know, cholesterol, that where our, um, sugar is and 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 whatnot what if that could happen 
like all the time? What if it was just a feature in us that we had implanted when you're a kid? You didn't have to wear externally on your skin like they did. If it's just something that would be into your skin, they'd be monitoring blood all the time. It can relay those panels. Like how many panels have you paid for in your life? If you could get a chip put in for 500 bucks that would let you run a panel every day of your life, and if something goes off kilter that you'd have record for it on your phone, one of the first steps of having algorithms monitor your health data is to have collection sensors be put into your body and under your skin. And first, blood would be an easy one. Um, not many of us would disagree having the chips. Some of us would say the chips are for other things. But if it was truly just a sensor, you know, a blood sensor, then I don't think many of us would object that. Maybe not. I don't know. But then you can also have some put in your brain as well, brain chips. And different psychological data could be collected. And Alzheimer's and, and any, you know, things that go wrong in, in human beings a lot might be regulated a little bit, noticed a little bit sooner and easier when it's pretty much our doctors live under a skin and are part of us all the time. And we have software that's constantly looking through the data and trying to see what's going on with us. And if something goes down, we're alerted to it. We don't have to go to the doctors to be like, what are the chances, right, that you go to the doctor's because you don't feel good and you did it in perfect time for the, them to start managing some kind of problem, right? It's usually the other way around. Had we known about this, we could have done something about it. Well, by the time you feel bad and you start feeling sick and given the reason to go, then sometimes it's just too late for that. And so I want to know if you're out there and you would be willing to chip yourself for a medical device that could talk to your, your phone. Now, you probably are wearing one. Like I, I'm wearing an Apple Watch right now. And when I run, it it uh, pays attention to my heart rate. And my I have a range in my heart rate where I like to keep myself. So if I'm below that, then I can run a little bit faster. And if I start nearing the top end, I know I'm going to start breathing too heavy and, and not being able to get enough oxygen. And so I slow it down a little bit until my heart rate equalizes. But that's important information for me to, you know, how else would I know when I'm running at that peak performance or peak efficiency if it weren't for this thing I was wearing on my wrist. And I'm, I'm really not afraid of it collecting something on me that's somehow going to say that I'm doing something unhealthy. It's there to save me from some kind of, you know, bad thing. Anyway, 330-729-9977. Give me a call or you can text me at 333-1570. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on 570 WKBM. I'll be back. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. I am Joe Danier, your host. Uh, this texter says, I like your idea. It seems ridiculous to drive around a 10,000-pound battery with some inductive. We might be uh, back to a Vega size and weight. So, uh, you know, back in March, uh, I brought up on the show that they were working in uh, battery, the, the sort of the battery density area. And basically what they're doing is they're messing with the arrangement of different materials to try to get uh, the, the same amount of space or weight to provide more energy. So in this case, the one that I read about before was uh, rather than using liquid, <clears throat> let's see, I'll just read this here. Department of Energy has developed a lithium air battery that can significantly increase the range of electric vehicles. 
Um, the lithium air battery uses a solid electrolyte instead of the typical liquid variety, potentially boosting the battery's energy densities by as much as four times over lithium ion batteries. And so what that means here is that you're going to get four times the amount of output or range out of the same uh, weight or form factor. Now, I don't think the cars are at the range levels that everybody wants or expects. So the choice then would be to use a pack that weighs one-fourth what it does today. So in this case, instead of a 10,000-pound battery, it would be a 2,500-pound battery, and then you would get the same range as you did today versus then putting a maybe a 5,000-pound battery and double the range that we're experiencing today or something you know, in that gradient somewhere. And what you think will happen, like, you know, Elon said that we can make these cars with ton more battery uh, range if we would keep just layering on the weight of batteries. So this is how this is going to go down is that we're going to continually try to improve the energy density of the materials that we're using. And I eventually think that we'll move on from even lithium and find some material that can make it even cheaper. It can make it lighter and it could be more energy dense. And this might be solid state uh, battery technology using silica. There's a ton of different people that are working on this. And, and I'm with you. So, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about long term, are you going to assume that batteries are going to stay the way they are? And you have to get the production and the, you know, energized roads like Sam and I were talking about. Or do you know that the infrastructure is, uh, is the, the lesser of the two and you want to make your batteries more sophisticated and be able to carry longer ranges with less weight and cost? And so that, that begins the crux. So we watch this and see which ends up winning. I still think using um, any sky-facing surface to collect you know, to collect uh, solar energy because there's just so much energy radiating down on our planet. It's just such a waste that we're not collecting it everywhere. Um, but anyway, there was a company back in the early 2010s, and I think they were just called Solar – the company was called Solar Road, Roadways. And it was, it was a startup, and this guy basically used his driveway as the experiment, and he basically got a, had a material that had to withstand – uh, you know, having vehicles go over it, it had to be replaceable and repairable because each one of these segments, I believe, was maybe five foot by five foot and it had electronics. But the entire surface was not only a solar panel, but it was also had programmable LEDs, right? So the programmable LEDs worked as almost like a screen on the road. So if I just, let's just say there was a road that there was a concert letting out and I wanted all one-way traffic, I would just put an LA LED laydown on there, having all of the traffic you know, lanes going in one direction. And I could change the lanes. If I wanted to put a turning lane, I wouldn't have to go repaint it or resurface it. I could just put LEDs down. Now, the cost was incredibly high. And so it wasn't something that every place could, you know, could take on. But it proved the concept that this material is possible to be a, like I said, a, a sky facing material that can absorb, you know, sun's radiation and, and turn that into electricity that could then warm the roads. Think about that part. So a little bit of electricity comes down, then it uses some of the electricity to, to heat the roads above freezing. 
so you wouldn't have to have snow plows. Like the, I'm assuming the number one damage of roadways is the snow plows. And so if you had these panels that were had heating elements that could heat up, then it could cause less traffic accidents and the need for salt and all that stuff that we're putting on our roads to immediate go away. So a lot of considerations that that might be a one that would be in the running. You, you accomplish three things. Here's what I would do. You still put your electricity under the roadways. If you're going to connect everything with electricity, it could be the backbone of it. And that way you do have, um, or you could give things that are riding on top a charge when it's rolling over. So put the magnets in it, put the electricity in it with the wiring, make it photovoltaic so that it will capture the sun's rays. Also make it programmable with LEDs so that you can change the the shape and the sculpt of the lanes and turning lanes and, and whatnot. And you'll have my vote. Anyway, it'd be interesting. 330-729-9977. Or you can text me at 333-157. Excuse me. Little Pitch for Youngstown Computer. Uh, Youngstown Computer makes this show possible. It's the reason we did this. We brought our expertise in the field. And we told you stories about everything that we dealt with on a daily basis. And what helped is there was a really scary time 10 years ago. It was the Wild West. There was malware on literally every computer that we sat in front of. I couldn't open a browser to see some kind of add-on or redirector or some kind of thing that was changed outside of the user's control. So if you got started in that era, a lot of the stuff wasn't your fault that was happening. It was happening to literally everybody, even the people that were seasoned professionals, because Windows was just not very secure. And so now... Windows are a little. Windows is a little bit better at defending itself against these infections, but it still happens. Uh, I think last week we saw maybe 12, 12 computers come through that had some kind of infection on it. So it's still happening. It's just not. We used to get twenty four, eh, not twenty four, maybe eight a day. So that would be eight times five. That would be forty. We get forty a week, and almost ninety nine percent of them were infections. So we've been we've come, uh, you know down a great deal in the threat of getting infected, but it still happens. So if anything happens on your residential computer, you need it fixed, you need data transferred, you're ready for a new one, or you want better wireless, the crappy wireless that gets handed off in some of these uh, ISPs when they put in your cable modem and they give you wireless, it's just crappy. You're buffering and it's slower than it needs to be and it's not traveling as far as it should. Uh, So make sure that uh, if your wireless is substandard, you give us a call and we'll install something that uh, we, we've got a bunch of different options, but we'll install something that makes it, your Wi-Fi extend all the way out on your patio, on your deck, outside, in your garage, the whole thing. Um, it's time to get that set up. So give me a call, 330-259-7278. Uh, leave a message on that machine, and uh, Devin will give you a call in the morning. And we also do commercial services. So if you want uh, us to service your local network, your business's network, uh, give us a call. And if it's not your company, take us to work with you. Give your boss a, uh, you know, the, a referral to us, and we will thank you greatly for bringing us to work. We'd appreciate it. 330-259-7278 yeah. is our number. You can check us out also at youngstowncomputer.com. All right, let's take a phone call here. We've got uh, Angelo next. Angelo, you're on the Youngstown Computer Show. How can I help you? Hi, I have two questions. Uh, sure. One question is, is there a direct path to upgrade from Windows 8 to Windows 11. And second question is, uh, I saw on Stack Social website that you can buy a license, uh, a CD key or license. 
is that something that is trustworthy? Like, is that something I can uh, actually do? from For the operating system, the license? Yeah. Okay. So, and and I would be really suspicious of things that I bought online. I'm I've done both. I have bought from places that are just wholesaling them. They've been legitimate and it works really well. And then I've also got scammed uh, a couple of times where I, I bought the license and it ended up being not legitimate, didn't activate. And I had to turn it in, and it was just a loss. So I would stick with any vendors that are are reputable that um you know are a big enough company that you can call their customer service that they didn't they didn't just open yesterday and uh and kind of narrow it down that we have a couple of software vendors that we stick to exclusively for that reason uh, we'll get every once in a while someone will come through our door and say hey we've got this old program we need an upgrade it's never a program we've never seen before so we end up having to shop it from these names that we've absolutely never heard of before and uh, and so just be really careful. Lots, ask a lot of questions and it, trust your instincts. If you're if you're getting a a sense that this is just a a shop that is you know reselling bad keys or whatever, just just protect yourself. I'd hate you to lo- lose a couple hundred bucks on a license and not be able to do anything with it. So thank you, Angela. Appreciate you with the phone call. Uh, and as far as the uh, the direct. Let's see. The, as far as the direct upgrades between operating systems, uh, you. It's it's not as easy to go directly from eight point one or or whatever to ten or eleven, but it is possible. Uh, but basically, what you're going to do is you're going to do the what I would do is I make a good backup. I would then take it to Windows ten and then take it immediately to Windows eleven and uh, and try not to go. It's like I said, it is possible, but I would probably take it the. The way that I feel about this, I think that when engineers uh, set up a pathway, they're going to assume certain things. They're going to accept expect you to go from 8 to 10 and from 10 to 11, and they might build some ease into that transition. So uh, that is my uh, – and the Windows 8 to 10 is a free thing anyway. Um, so it, it's there's no downside to doing a, a double jump. So thank you for that call. Appreciate it. Uh, 330-729-729. Nine nine seven seven. You could text me at three 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 one five seventy. Joe, let's see. Joe, glad you have the money and can afford uh, your Tesla toys, but the operating expenses savings does not justify the upfront investment and other costs for me. Maybe someday it will, but I prefer my gas guzzling vehicle. I think the reason most people are developing a hate for EVs is because they're trying to shove them down our throats instead of leaving us. I have the alternate choice. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate that. And, you know, you're right. And in the beginning, it, it sort of was like the same kind of analogy when they first came out with, uh, you know, LED monitors. They were they were like $10,000 for a 35-inch TV, super expensive, and they weren't even all that great, right? And there were some early buyers that jumped in there. And, you know, because those early buyers jumped in, they made it affordable so that it was at parity and even better than what a CRT, you know, could do. And I, I, I get that same sort of grace to the EVs. Yes, things have gotten kind of political and I kind of hate that for it, but I'm watching these rec- or these new car prices be almost identical between like a Malibu and a, maybe not a Malibu, but that kind of like a sedan and a, and a Tesla. I'm like, okay, they're both $29,000. So the, 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 the premium, the pricing premium doesn't really exist like it did before. So I think your, um, 
you know, your opinion that they, they cost more just might not be a reality anymore. I'd like you to check in to some of the pricing and, you know, go through a, a selection, pick out a used uh, Tesla or, or a new one, see what the price point is. And if they have one for, you know, their, their maybe their economy intro is like, you know, $20,000 and then their Model 3 is $30,000 and their Model S is $50,000. And, and, you know, every product line, including like General Motors and Ford and, and, and Chrysler or whatever it's called now, uh, all of them have cars that are in the lower end of their line. And then they also have additions and the Cadillacs and whatever that are the, the premium versions of that. You can't hold the premium version price tag uh, or the lesser line accountable for that premium price tag. So I want to just add that you're, you're right on, on all other accounts. And, and I think that uh, I'm not one for eliminating either one and I'm not um, giving an advantage to either one. Uh, just like I could go buy, you know, one brand of tools and another brand, I think they should all exist. And it comes down to the buyer's preference. I just don't like the unfairness that gets associated with it. I'd like everybody to kind of give it a fair shake. It's not for everybody. If you travel lots of miles, I I would not buy a EV if I do tons of road trips in it because it's not an easy thing. And and, and I'll explain that to you here. When when I try my daily is I try I travel less than two hundred miles a day, right? And my car's range is two hundred and twenty, two hundred and forty if I go to one hundred percent capacity. So I never get close to running out on my daily. That is ninety nine percent of how I use the vehicle. So we did a couple road trips, and I took it out onto the road and tried to go to New Jersey, which is going to cost or take three fuel ups, right? You're in a car, maybe that's one fuel up, so less range more often the first stop i was almost down to like you know 10 percent of my range i plugged it in i was ready to get go i wasn't really ready to stop when when i had to stop i plugged it in and i waited a good 35 minutes for it to charge 15 minutes longer than i would have started traveling again second one plugged it in this was the time that i was going to stop and get something to eat anyway it charged, I ate, I got out, it was done charging. I considered that a neutral. That's time that I would have expensed anyway. And then the third stop pulled in, same thing. I charged a little bit more, more like 45 minutes, but that would have been a five-minute stop and a five-minute stop that ended up being a 35 and a 45. That is an hour longer to travel to New Jersey to put electricity in a battery. Now, could it get better in the future? Yes, but I would never choose that car to do my traveling. Right, because it is it adds too much travel time. Now, if it was a low key, I didn't really care about time consequence, or I wasn't in a big hurry, didn't mind waiting around. Cool, but three stops, an extra hour of travel, just was it's not in my style, and I wouldn't have picked it. So it might not if I did that a lot, it might not be the proper tool for me. So thank you, Larry, appreciate it. Three three zero seven two nine 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 seven seven. Text me at three 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 one five seventy. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on five seventy WKBM. I'll be back. Hey. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. Uh, a warning about going from 8 to 11 is that older hardware might not be compatible with 11. It may be better to get a new computer that comes with Windows 11. That is a good point. Uh, and when you span lots of eras, like five plus years, that that is definitely a healthy consideration. So thank you for that text message. Beautiful thing about having this audience that 
uh, there's some seasoned pros out there that are listening. So anything that might either I miss or uh, I don't know the answer to, there's someone in this audience that knows the answer and they will gladly share it. So thank you, uh, Texter over there for sharing that information up to us. Appreciate it. Uh, now, this must this must have come up recently. I haven't paid attention to the political news in quite some time, um, so I'm not sure who said it and why. Uh, as I mentioned with uh, John Arnold in our last segment, uh, in our bus- at the business show, that universal basic income has come up plenty of times, and um, w- how it connects with technology is that automations and uh, like robotics and then software is taking the place of what other human beings were doing before jobs, right? And so the the thought is that there are going to be enough people displaced by technology that you're going to have a class of people that there just aren't jobs that they can do. So we we get advanced. Like, let's just say, I'm going to use a stupid analogy, but you're going to get the, the point. Let's just say, there's a couple, like uh, 25% of the people weren't around when we were discussing the English language, right? They were grunting and they were drawing pictures to communicate. And then some of us over here started talking and using English and, you know, you know, really um, getting our language sorted out. All right. And the other people that were looking up they weren't doing that they were just cool with the pictures and the grunting well then more sophistication got layered on top of the english then we started doing something with that language we started adding technology to language and adding business and society and you know uh, civilizations and government all these technologies and there were grunters still over here that were doing their thing well there's a there's a point in time when the sophistication of the infrastructure go so far beyond the people who would be participating in that they can no longer connect into it because the the immediate thing was everybody's going to have a specialization. If every entry level or every menial job or every low end whatever is being done by robotics because they can and there's no entry point for someone who does not have a specialty then what do you do with those people? Do you force the grunters and the people who don't know English to learn English? Has too much time gone by and maybe you can't catch them up fast enough to sort of like integrate or engage them or put them into that machine? And so the UBI was a a, a set where you just pretty much take the bottom rung of people and you give them some money because it's cheaper than, you know, how they violate the civilization. And then you do nothing different on the other. So we give we give a baseline thousand dollars a month to every person on the planet, which means if you work, you don't really get the thousand dollars because you're the one paying for the thousand dollars. But everybody who's not working, they get the thousand dollars and it keeps them from doing X, Y, Z. Now, my problem, and this is not a political show, but my problem is that you do not have a system that you set up where it gives people something that does not on a long-term basis get exploited and get ruined, right? And so you can't control enough how to then make more people. Like in your brain, you're like, only the people at the bottom are there, right? People who can't are there. But then you gave a little incentive for people to go there. 
And the group of people who go there to get the incentive is complicating. What if 50% of the people decide that they don't want to work and they're going to the bottom as a worthwhile endeavor, and then everybody on the top of that divider has to pay for the people on the bottom, and now you just have full-blown socialism. And that that would be my own only sort of like um, criticism, not my only, I would say, think of something else. UBI, it is not something that I think we can mathematically make work, or we can trial it, and if it doesn't work, we can scrap it. Um, if we, but I think there are much easier ways to satisfy uh, that, you know, that that group if they're really isolated and they're a small group anyhow. That help them not be on that bottom rent. Take the unsophistication out of it and make more people sophisticated enough to participate in the non-grunting and you know the English language. So that I, I don't know if that if that solves the problem, but it was brought up enough times that people were really contemplating it. And uh, and I, I just hope we're not taking it serious. Uh, the new AI co-pilot in Windows 365 reminds me too much of Clippy and Cortana. I'm not sure what I would use it for. What are your thoughts? I have not used it. And in fact, those kinds of things, uh, they I, I turn them off. Anything that nags at me or reminds me like that, I, I just, I shut it off. And, and what the texter is referring to is back in the day, uh, there used to be a little... Uh, a help monster called Clippy, and he was a paperclip, and he'd pop up on the screen and give you a chance to ask him questions about Windows operations. You can type questions and whatever, and try to help you along. And he wasn't very good, and he was mocked terribly over the years. And so Microsoft, it seems like it's a – they're, they're a solid company that does a lot of innovative stuff, but they're real clumsy on coming out with the things that are usable. Like you had Steve Jobs that would wow you, and then you would have Bill Gates – that would make you mad most of the time. So I'm with the, if it comes from Microsoft, I'm probably mad at it and I don't even know what it is yet. So sorry to, um, you know, to throw it under the bus so easy, but I have no experience with it and I'd probably uh, look after the show and make sure that it's really turned off. So thank you for that question. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show on 570 WKBN. I'll be back. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Youngstown Computer Show. Uh, this says, Joe, how do you feel about the Ancestry data, DNA data collection services? Are they trustworthy? Um, I, I don't I don't know much about them. There was a couple of articles a couple uh, months back about some merges and some acquisitions of companies that had your DNA uh, information. Um, I believe they are a um, sort of like a, they, they can share your information with third parties. Uh, anytime we're talking about DNA and genetics, it's it's a it's a personal thing with individuals and should be treated with respect from anybody who you deal with. Um, digital companies that do this, they're doing it for you know where your relatives were born and whatever. They, there's not a nefarious you know uh, overt use of it. Uh, but could it ever get hacked and fall in the hands of something? And what would they do with it? Um, so this, the safety is going to be unclear. Um, I, I personally won't do it. And I don't want the genetics information that much to trust a company that will share information or potentially with, with other companies. It's just not worth it to me. Uh, maybe I would do, you know, a genealogist that's local, maybe a service that I can meet the people, but these big companies, they're not real good with your information and so i don't just don't trust those big companies 
to not secure it. I mean, you can very easily find hacked data that comes from uh, from Ancestry.com. So, yeah, I'm not playing in that world just yet. Uh, this texter says, Joe, I have a question. I'd like some input from you concerning cell phones. I was recently told you should shut your phones off for about an hour, at least once a week to reset the towers that your signal goes to or comes from to cut co- cut down on people being able to hack in your phone or track you uh, and like to know if there's any validity to this. Uh, very superficially. I, I don't think there's a real good reason to connect, have the towers reconnect. Uh, when you do reboot it, you get a fresh connection so that it does abandon the disconnected connection and you get a, a brand new fresh one. Uh, but if you're being tracked via cellular, you're not being tracked over the network per se. Um, you're you're easier. It's more easy to triangulate you where with the towers that you are connected to, and and so it. it I think it's unfounded. I don't think it's really necessary to go through either of those. You know, two steps. If you really want some, um, you know, I'm more concerned when you're on you know data networks and you don't have some kind of VPN that than I am about the cell phone connection. So um, I would definitely do a VPN, not necessarily would, would care to, uh, to reboot. Now I do get maybe better battery, better service. Uh, when I do close out all of my apps and do a, a fresh reboot, I like the performance that I get after that. So maybe from a performance standpoint, but not necessarily from a security standpoint. So you can, uh, you could still reboot it. It's not going to cost you but 30 seconds reboot time. So I would do it, but not for the reasons that you suggested. So thank you for that text message. I appreciate it. Uh, Joe, when I'm in a hotel connecting to it, oh, perfect timing. When I'm in a hotel and connecting to the internet, should I connect to the free access that the internet is being offered? Um, almost exactly the response that I had there. So think about it this way. When you're connecting to an access point that says Hotel 8, right? How do you know that you're connecting to the company that you're renting the room from? How do you know that's theirs? How do you know that I didn't rent room 208 and I get in there and I set up a router and I put some special hacker software on and I call my SSID Hotel 8? And then you look at it and say, oh, there's the hotel's free internet. You log in. Not only can I see your traffic, right, but I can also interact with an insecure computer because you just basically granted me uh, a connection internal. Not that it's 100% going to happen, but at the very least, you do not want your traffic to be seen from a third party. So at the very least, use, use a VPN, right? So even if you did connect to Joe's, uh, internet in room 208 but the minute that your computer you you turn the vpn on all of your 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 traffic is going through that tunnel and even if there's someone you know looking at the traffic it's all encrypted so it really can't see anything you just have to make sure that you're not operating outside of that tunnel because whoever's hosting that connection uh, can see that so i wouldn't stop from doing it but if you're going to do it, make sure that you have a, a tunnel set up. There's some free ones out there. Um, one of the advertisers here, I, I think ExpressVPN still is an advertiser on KBN. Uh, you know, check those guys out. Um, on my laptop, I think I have ExpressVPN. On my phone, I have nothing. Yeah, I have ExpressVPN on on my laptop, and I have nothing on my tablet. Um, so I don't, I, I don't really connect to. 
public Wi-Fi very often. I think all of my devices have its own cellular connection. So I think I'm connected most of the time to my office here or my house, very infrequently at coffee shops and, and whatnot. So thank you for asking that question. Um, Joe, I have a computer that's seven years old and there's nothing wrong with it yet, but it is running a little bit slower. Is there anything that I could do to maintain it to make it run faster? Uh, seven years is quite a bit of time. You've gotten some good use out of it. Um, I like to think of, uh, you know, every couple years doing a hardcore cleanout maintenance. There, there's a good bit of dust and dirt that gets sucked into your computer, and then all of your components end up wearing this coat of dust and dirt. And all it does is keep everything, you know, warmer than it should be getting. And computer hardware, the longevity is shortened the hotter things get get. So you want to make sure you give a good cleaning out, power supplies, whatever. You just got to be careful when you pop open the case of a machine, uh, not to you know, put in anything metallic, don't bump around. Be, just be very careful when you're in there. And there is some, like your power supply is pretty high-end power. So be careful. Like if you jam a screwdriver, metal screwdriver in the back of your power supply to clean it, that would be a bad time. So don't do that. And you don't want to do any damage to the components. So just be very careful. Uh, don't use anything like uh, PVC and touch equipment. So PVC is a, um, what's that called? An insulator. And so PVC, like if the, the hose on, on the vacuum, it's made of PVC plastic. Uh, it it holds a bunch of electrons on on its surface. And so when you're pushing around on some electronic components, you, you, you know, risk having some of those electrons or some, static to short off and into the uh into the board so you just want to be careful when you're pushing around in there uh, otherwise from a performance standpoint you definitely want to run um, updates windows updates on a regular basis i'm talking like every couple weeks go to the uh, settings and look for windows updates apply all of the ones that are in queue uh, also update any software like firefox or chrome or any other applications that have our maintenance schedule as well and then uh remove programs that you don't use that are running. And a lot of times you can look down in the bottom right-hand corner of the machine and see what applications are running. And if you notice something you don't know what it is, uh, you can try closing it and see if you even notice that it's not there anymore. And if you don't notice it, then just uninstall it and get get it off the machine. A lot of those programs will take up uh, clock cycles and they'll take up memory and resources. So you want to Shut those down. We, we haven't done a performance question like that in a long time. So I'm really appreciative that you asked that question. You've helped a bunch of people out there to make their machines run a little bit faster. But last thing I'll say about that is a machine that's seven years old um, has been advancing on the software side. What hasn't been advancing is the hardware side. So some of your performance is that your operating system gets newer and your hardware stays the same. So a lot of times what you had in memory was good five years ago, and now that it's five years later, that might be the bare minimum to operate the machine. So it might, uh, you know, my threshold for putting major money into a machine is five years. Anything five or less, I'll, I'll usually pull the trigger. Anything five and over, I will be very deliberate. If it's a memory stick, sure. But you got to look that most of those components are were meant to live for five to seven years anyhow you're not really going to get 10 years out of that so if that computer died tomorrow would you be sad that you replaced one of the memory chips and tried to keep it living a little bit longer that's the question that you ask and if you would be sad then i would say let's go and think about you know in, in, having a new computer so you're not 
situation. If you're like, yeah, I would totally, you know, do something like solid state hard drives are, are my my favorite upgrade because what happens is <clears throat> it's a new today's solid state. So let's just say that computer dies. All you're going to do is bring that solid state and put it in your next computer. And now you have that solid state drive. It's not going to be wasted hardware where if you have a memory stick that might be DDR3, if you if I put another stick of DDR3, the next computer is going to have DDR4. So that memory stick is going to live in that computer, and it's not going to be worth what you just paid it, paid for it, and you're going to be on to a new computer and be like, yeah, wah, wah, that kind of a thing. So uh, that's my official answer. Again, thank you for answering or asking a question. Uh, Joe, what do you do with broken or old computers? Is there a recycler in our area that takes them? Uh, I believe there's an advertiser here at the station that advertises they take computer equipments. And I will have to ask what the, I think it's Southside Recycling, that they do drive up uh, electronics, as well as I believe the green team in our area also does uh, recycling. Both of those, I don't think they do them all the time. I think they're scheduled things. Call both of those. Don't take my word. Do not show up with your electronics there and expect them to take it. I would call them and say, do you? Joe mentioned it on the radio, but do you do this and then get uh, better words? That's Southside Recycling and also the green team of Youngstown. So thank you for that question. Uh, Let's go to Fred. Fred, you're on the Youngstown Computer Show. How can I help you? Hi, Joe. Hi. Yeah, I got this this old computer. Uh, It's a Windows uh, XP and... um, Okay, I'm not using it, okay? But it ran fine when I shut it down and everything, and I, you know, and I cleaned it up and before I shut it down. And this is quite a while ago. And about a year ago, I tried to just boot it up. I didn't even try to put it online or anything like that. I just tried to boot it up to see if the computer would work again, and it wouldn't boot. What do you think's up with that? Um, anything on the display? Does it say anything on the screen when it's trying? No, it just uh, no, it just won't even attempt to boot. Um, when you power it on, do you hear any fans spin up or anything? Yes. Okay. All right. I, and about how long was it off uh, offline? Powered off. It was it was uh, off, you know, for probably a year or two. I, I would just like to. I don't want to put it back online or anything. I would just like to get it running again because I got I got a lot of good information on that hard drive. Yeah, ch- chances. Okay, so you only have a couple of of things that can be bad on it, and I would start with all of the cheap to repair things like the power supply is one of your easiest ones because you plug the power supply in and if it gets enough power to you know make the motherboard come to life then you'll get a boot out of it a bad replacement would be like the motherboard because that's not it's an old machine you're not going to find anything or anyone to be able to take that on and that would be a, a, a you know sort of like a deal breaker but i would go through and maybe uh take one of the memory chips out and and maybe one of the chips went bad uh, i'm going to say it's either going to be memory or the power supply and things i would do something about if it's the motherboard it's it's toast okay um what about the battery is there like a battery for the bias or anything like that there is uh but i don't think that would stop it from booting um you, what, what we're looking to get is something on the screen right because whatever appears on the screen is going to tell us what's wrong 
if you're not getting anything on the screen, that means it's not initializing, and which means that, that the power supply is not giving power, the memory sticks are bad, so it's not initializing, or the motherboard's dead. That's why I started with those three. Okay. Have you ever heard of the uh, um, the, the uh, so-called remedy that re-plugging everything in, like the rem- memory... Um, the memory and the uh, plugs on the hard drive, you're just plugging everything in and pulling them off and plugging them back in. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, absolutely. And especially if it sat around for a little while, might have come loose somewhere. So take all of your chips out and put it, you know, plug them back in, make sure they're nice and secure. If you do want to reset the BIOS in case something happened, like a, you know, you had a power discharge or something like that, and it's stuck somewhere, um, go ahead and, and do that as well. You can just do that as easy, too, if you plug the power uh, supply in and hit the power button and then unplug it and hit the power button again. It'll discharge everything that's off of that board as well. Okay. Oh, just one more quick question, sure. okay? Yeah. If you don't mind. Um, I bought a Mac Mini. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah, sure have. Yeah, it's a small um, Apple computer. And I haven't fired it up yet. It's still brand new in a box. I mean, what do you think of those? You know, I mean, if, if have you used the Mac before? No. Okay. No, I've been a Windows guy all my life, but, you know, I got sick and tired of uh, the... Uh, well, I, I, I don't deal with apps, okay? Uh, I've been a Windows guy all mm-hmm. my life, pretty much. Okay, so if if you've used it before, then you're a little disappointed because it's the least powerful machine in Apple's arsenal. But if you never used one anymore then you're not going to really notice anything. It's going to be it's going to be comparable to a low-end uh, PC. Uh, you're going to get used to the operating system. It works just like any other Mac. It's just a little underpowered from what, you know, you would be used to. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great starter to get in that world. Okay. All right. I'm just uh I'm just not used to uh you know, that like you say that world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. All, All right. right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate you being out there. Uh, great question. I uh, hope that all works out for you. And uh, it kind of goes along with, you know, I, I, have a, I, I have a tendency to that when an old computer is, um, is, is retired, I, I hang on to it for some reason. I, something in my brain says that I'm going to need something off of it. I got to be get a lot better, pull on my hard drive, send it over to the recycling, and... And that's it, saying saying goodbye. But I just get for some reason, you know, all of us have those cable drawers that have, you know, twenty year old audio cables or power cables, and you just think the minute that you throw this sucker away, that uh, that you're going to need it, and so you just hoard all kinds of stupid power cables. Anyway, um, the, with, with the advent of Amazon, I'm pretty confident now. That as long as I know what the cable is, I could type it in there and find somebody who will resell me a cable that I once had. And it's given me a little bit more freedom to throw at least some of those. Like I remember I, I, I had a charging cable and it was for an iPhone 4, right? And so I still have, I have every cell phone that I've ever owned in a drawer. After I retired, it, it's in a drawer. I've got a problem. That's Just saying this stuff out loud, I've really got a problem with hoarding, I think. 
But anyway, I had a charging cable for that phone in the drawer, and I was reluctant to throw away that stupid cable for some reason. But I finally, I did. I chucked it. I don't need it. No one's going to say, Hey, Joe, you don't happen to have an iPhone 4 cable charging cable, do you? No one's going to ask me that. I got to get over it. 330-729-9977. We're going to have one little segment at the very end, and we're going to get out of here and enjoy the rest of our weekend, too. You're listening to the Youngstown Computer Show, 570 WKBN. I'll be back. All right, welcome back. We got we got a couple five more minutes here, so that if you want to get any last minute questions in, uh, go for it. Uh, this has been a fun show. We we hit some you know national topics, we hit some politically charged topics, and we answered some questions about power supplies and and whatnot. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, one we'll talk a, I talk a little bit about Wi Fi and placing it in your home. Um, I do want to say you know this program is brought to you by Youngstown Computer. It's what we do for a living. We uh, increase, you know, sort of the capabilities of technology in in your home. Uh, through this show, we kind of open some doors and let you know new stuff that's coming down. Um, I use myself as sort of a lab rat of things that, you know, I like doing and, and not doing. And, and one thing is that literally every television that I'm using now is streaming uh, my uh, my content. I don't have cable internet, totally shed that out. I don't even really use a local antenna anymore, totally shed that out. Um, everything is literally, I bring it up on my phone, and when I want to watch something, I cast it up to a television. So <clears throat> my the, my process got so simplified that it's not funny. Like I, the last weekend when the, whatever weekend that was when the Browns played, uh, the, the Browns played and lost terribly, uh, basically it was last weekend. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, so I was out at a campground. I had a TV on the outside of my motorhome. The game was on somebody else's phone and they connected to my Wi-Fi and then threw the game from their phone up to my TV. I just think that's how it should be in the future. I just don't, I think the, how many redundant pieces of hardware and technology that we have everywhere we go. Uh, we had a texter earlier talking about everybody has all these 10,000 pounds of batteries. What if we decentralized it so that we didn't have so much redundancy and found other ways to get your stuff to you without everybody having to carry it. When I first got in this industry, <clears throat> I watched everybody buying $2,000 computers and some of them weren't using $2,000 worth of technology, but everybody had them. So there was hard drive space that nobody was using and CPU cycles that nobody was using and capacity that nobody was using, but everybody was carrying all of that capacity. So uh, Bob and I, who was a, a previous co-host with me, we sat down and said, what would it take to set up a dummy terminal and have all of the important stuff happening happen on a computer over the internet. And this is on dial-up days. What would it take to get just a, a an interface that showed you something was happening without the stuff actually happening on your computer? You wouldn't have to have a hard drive because the stuff's coming from the internet. You just have to have a modem, a clear internet connection, and something to display video. You wouldn't have to have pretty much anything else. And and that was sort of like uh, you know the the first iteration of that philosophy is we you know we do we we overdo it so often overcomplicate it and commit too many resources to things uh this texter said uh joe might be too late to get the question in but lately when i try to stream on my brava smart tv i just get the message that my wi-fi is out of range 
and it's not that far away and never has been a problem. Could could it be since it's show since it's showing I have seven devices, mostly cameras on my Wi-Fi, but I have too many things on my Wi-Fi signal. That could absolutely be the case. Some of these uh, devices only carry or have capa- carrying capacity of about five devices. So the one I use, I use those pods from uh, Google Wi-Fi, and each one of them can handle about 10 connections. And so that I, I space them so I have enough of them. So it's not necessarily the, the signal that they get. It's just that you have multiple pods that if one gets overburdened with too much traffic, you have a second one that other devices can. You just might have too many devices coming in and hitting your Wi-Fi, and it's just not engineered for that. So thank you for that question. Uh, if that's a newer Mac Mini, then I might have a M1 or M2 CPU, and that would be a very nice machine for the price. I'm a big fan of the Mac Minis. I've had two. Uh, and the only people that really complain about it, the people that I've heard are, are designers and developers. I think when they get in the world where they're trying to put together you know, big Photoshop or big Illustrator, uh, they get a little bit, when they know what it feels like to be on uh, a pro or something like that, they they know that they're you know don't have as much uh, processing ability. But uh, yeah, that if you can do a, C, a CPU upgrade on a on a Mac Mini, uh, that would make the time a lot better. So thank you for that text message. Appreciate it. All right, so that's all we have for uh, this program today. We're going to take a couple weeks off because we got a lot of sports that are happening in this time frame, and I'm going to take some time to get some stuff done on Saturdays. Uh, so. Uh, I'll, we'll see you after you know those next couple weeks. But you know, in the meantime, uh, we'll still be doing stuff. So if you want to give Youngstown Computer a call, 330-259-7278. You can get your appointment scheduled at youngstowncomputer.com. You can give the commercial or residential uh, parts of our business uh, some new business by calling that number, 330-259-7278. And if you don't have a problem now, write the number down, stick it on the side of your computer, and when that time comes, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a call, 330-259-7278. All right, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you in a couple weeks here on the Youngstown Computer Show.